Lumos. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Harry Podcast, the show where we analyze and discuss each chapter of the Harry Potter series from a literary perspective. I'm David. And I'm Madeline. And today's episode is called Harry Podcast and the Night Bus. Today we will be discussing Harry's first sighting of the Grimm, the character of Stan Shunpike, and how the magic of the night bus actually works. So the chapter begins immediately following the previous one, with Harry just having left number four Privet Drive, and now he's out alone in the muggle world, with no friends and no direction and no idea what to do. He suddenly sees a shadowy figure down an alleyway that he describes later as looking like a giant black dog, Um, But it's very brief, and he's not sure what's going on. Yeah, he just is kind of freaked out and falls over. um, And before he gets a good look at it, a double-decker bus suddenly appears out of thin air. Stan Shunpike, the conductor, comes out of the bus and announces that the night bus stops for a witch or wizard who sticks out their wand hand and needs a place to go. Harry gets on and, when prompted, says his name is Neville Longbottom and that he wants to go to London. While on the bus, Harry finds out that Black is Sirius Black, a wizard who escaped from Azkaban and killed 13 people. When they arrive at the Leaky Cauldron, Cornelius Fudge is there waiting for Harry. Harry doesn't get into trouble with the current climate, as Fudge says, and he gets to stay in the Leaky Cauldron for two weeks until term starts. Um, Hedwig is already there waiting for him when he goes up to his room, and Harry falls asleep almost immediately as the sun begins to rise. So the way this chapter starts is is when Harry sees the Grimm, um, which is actually, as we know, Sirius in his animagus form for the first time. Um, so what does this mean kind of for the plot and series-wise, that this is when Harry sees the Grimm, and what do we know now, and what will we know in the future? Well, we don't really know that much right now. Um, Later on, when we get into, like, the divination chapters, uh, where he starts to learn about, like, symbolism and omens, basically, Harry will learn about how the Grimm is a purported symbol of death, um, and then he'll think back to this time when he saw the Grimm, and it immediately preceded an incident that almost killed him when Harry almost gets run over by the bus arriving, basically. Although we don't know that this wasn't like a brush with death per se, because the night bus, it seems like magically makes things jump out of its way. Um, As it was described, like when Harry was on the bus, like even a whole farmhouse jumps out of the way. So Mm -hmm. unclear whether it was actually a brush with death or not, but um, certainly that will appear to be a symbol of like a death omen later on um and then of course there's the coincidence of this being uh juxtaposed with uh our first description of Sirius Black the criminal the escaped convict um and as we're going to learn later obviously they're one and the same yeah and I think that it is interesting just the context of what's happening now so thinking of Sirius being the grim um why so Sirius is just there on private drive just watching Harry because that's what he decided to do once he escaped from prison? Is that kind of what we're supposed to assume? The reason why he's here right now? I guess it's because, you know, he's Harry's godfather and obviously he cares for him very deeply. Um, he just wanted to, like, 
see him, mm-hmm. you know, but he, it's unclear whether he would have like revealed himself to Harry at this point. Right. Probably not, I would say. Um, and but like, how did... long has he been here? You know, what's, yeah. It's I mean, there's also a strange the, coincidence. The, yeah. It's a coincidence, right? That, that he gets to see Harry because Harry like doesn't go outside that much. It seems like. Right. And here he is like running away at whatever it is, like two in the morning mm-hmm. and, uh, black just happens to, to be there. So that is a pretty strange coincidence. Um, it's unclear what, like, Sirius's plan was, per se. I think he just wanted to, like, catch sight of Harry and, like, see how he was as, like, a person. And then, obviously, like, his plan was to go and find um, Scabbers, basically. Yeah, so I think that, you know, this, the way that these incidents are um, juxtaposed at night bus and seeing the Grim, who we know is Sirius, it almost makes me think that Sirius is calling the night bus for Harry in a way, although... Hmm. We know that, I guess, that's not true. I guess Harry just stuck his wand hand out in, you know, um, in accidentally, a way, accidentally yeah. in a way that called the night bus. But um, it does seem like it would be something that Sirius would do seeing Harry being stranded and want wanting him to have some way to escape like, yeah. safely. Right. Yeah. Except for the fact that he didn't. It does seem like the kind of thing that Sirius would have done in yeah. that situation. Um, but, you know, speaking of the night bus, that leads us to our, our most interesting character of the chapter, Stan Shunpike. Right. So what did we learn about Stan Shunpike in this chapter? Well, one thing that I noticed was that I think he's pretty different from other wizards we've seen so far. I mean, first of all, he's one of the only wizards that we've seen that's outside of Hogwarts and that's not kind of like either working in a shop or working at the school. Um, yeah. And he also, because of his accent, the way the dialect is written, he seems like he's more of a working class wizard. Absolutely. He's someone who is, you know, working in public transportation, usually more a low paying job. Mm -hmm. So he's kind of the first example of this working class, working poor type person in the wizarding world. Besides the Weasleys, of course. Right, but we see the Weasleys as, you know, this big family and they're all going to Hogwarts. And it's not saying that... Stan didn't do that, but he's kind of on his own as a young kid working in this way. And I think the Weasleys are a different sort of working class. They're more of like a farmer family. They live in a rural community and they have like a farmhouse. And they have some prestige because of Arthur's Arthur's Place in Ministry. I mean, one could kind of argue that if they didn't have so many kids, they would probably be a little bit better off. Definitely. Um, But like he's you know, working in the ministries, like, government job is definitely a higher paying and higher position of a job than working on a bus like this. City kid, you know, with this, like, funny accent and, uh, and, like, not much in the way of manners or, like, politeness, you know. So very different from the Weasleys in that sense. You know, it's like a, it's a different kind of character, really. Um, but I think, I think, yeah, it's our first representation of, of a working class person. I think that's also really important for Harry's growth as a character um, later on, because as we know, Stan will become uh, an unwilling Death Eater mm-hmm. in the seventh book after um, Voldemort takes over the Ministry of Magic. And Harry's brushes with Stan over the course of the series, I think, really humanizes him to Harry in a very real way, and, and he lets... Harry know like okay like this guy is just like a regular guy he's not like really intelligent or really ambitious he's not evil 
he's just like a guy who works on a bus and like is pretty like pretty nice but not like overly nice or anything so like when harry has like the experience of running into death eater stan quote unquote he realizes like that's not he's that's not really stan that's Mm -hmm. like them using him as a puppet and so it humanizes him in that situation and it's like i'm not gonna kill him even though he's trying to kill me because this isn't his fault and he knows that he's being cursed. Yeah, he knows that he's being controlled. Because he knows who he is. But I think it's also kind of interesting in a broader way to think about this character and how he kind of becomes this unwilling terrorist. Because I think that, you know, not to get too dark about it, but I do think that a lot of people that become any kind of um, terrorist or involved in a group um, that is causing violence or hate... Um, often are people that don't have as many opportunities or are usually more working class or, um, you know, maybe easily influenced to get higher up in some sort of organization. Mm -hmm. I mean, and we know that San is cursed and he probably wouldn't have chosen that, but it is interesting that that is who she chooses to have as someone that has been cursed into being a Death Eater. Yeah, I think in a lot of ways Stan is like an everyman. Mm Mm-hmm. It's like a J.K. Rowling, like, uh, you know, working class Londoner insert in the story. It's like anyone could be Stan Shunpike. So when he gets controlled by the Death Eaters, I think it's supposed to be like a, you know, this could have happened to anybody kind of thing. Right, right. So when Harry introduces himself to Stan, he actually um, says Neville Longbottom's name. So he, they, Stan says, what's your name? And he says, Neville Longbottom. Um, I mean, this is supposed to be random. Harry says it's the first name that came to his mind, you know, that wasn't his own. Right. Um, but I think it's very interesting given the connection that we know Neville and Harry share being born um, the same time so that, you know, the prophecy could be about either of them, that kind of thing, how mm-hmm. Neville becomes also a hero against Voldemort. So just the connection and the parallels between them, it is kind of a little wink to that, possibly, yeah. that he uses this as his alter ego in this moment um, and that that is who he is for a short period of time. And it also provides a big... Um, point of humor in the chapter which is that even after they find out (laughs) even after stan and ernie the bus driver find out that he is harry they say okay neville bye neville and they say a lot (laughs) because that's how they've known him so um it's pretty cute yeah and uh i do i do agree i think it is a very um clever juxtaposition by the author to have harry use neville's name there are foils in a sense i think harry and neville they're not opposites, but they're like sort of two representations of what either of them could have been yeah, under they're different very circumstances. Parallel, yeah. Um, so we've talked about Neville a bunch in previous episodes, but yeah, I mean they're they're ba- they're basically like you know there, but for the grace of God, go I. Like under different circumstances, Harry could have been Neville and vice versa. I think. Um, so it's funny that that Harry uses his name because it's like, wow, he you know, like he really could have been the Neville in this situation, mm-hmm. or vice versa. So at this point, I think we should think about how actually does the magic of the night bus work. We know that it can jump from place to place, and we know that things jump out of its way. How do you think all that stuff works? Right, and we see we also know, I guess, from Stan that sticking out your wand arm and just needing a place to go and just thinking about it will call the night bus. So it's a very, you know, kind of 
flexible type of magic. <laughs> yeah. Um, we, you know, one thing that's very memorable from this movie is seeing the way the night bus works, which is um, we sort of see it shrinking and growing and getting skinny and short. It, it sort of moves as one to fit into any place it needs to go to get there the fastest way possible. One of the best scenes in that film, I think. Definitely. Definitely. And then we have the shrunken head, which again makes no sense and is not not in the, in the book, but not in the book, a great addition to, still, the, to the scene. Still important. Um, so I I usually think of it that way, um, but I don't know. I mean, I think that it that's probably what it does. It's just um, sort of trained to adapt, either move itself or move other things out of the way in order to get to the destination as fast as possible. It's almost like. Um, a really fast GPS that will adjust based on who mm. um, who gets in and who needs, you know, which which location they should go to first based on who's in the bus, that kind of thing. I imagine it as being like a button that you press, like mm-hmm. Ernie is the driver. So I imagine Ernie pressing a button and then it, it like, I mean, obviously it's basically teleporting. It teleports right. them to like near where they're going to go, but but it seems like there is a lot of driving involved. They can't just teleport right to a doorstep. No, it's not. It takes a while. Yeah, so maybe it's like there are, let's say there's like 200 um, sites in Britain. Okay. And you can, you can teleport to any one of them from anywhere, mm-hmm. um, but only to one of those sites. And then you have to drive the rest of the way to get to the actual spot where you can be dropped off. Yeah, and it also just brings up a lot of questions you know are there multiple buses like this um doesn't seem like it it doesn't seem like it in britain but you know in other parts of the wizarding world are there buses or trains or boats or things that are using this type of magic i mean right one wonders whether there's like a train in the united states but they probably don't look like a double-decker bus because that's a very english thing right it's true um and i mean why do we think that's a wizard that, like, on purpose would use the night bus besides a porky, flu powder, apparition, mm-hmm. broom flying. I mean, there's a lot of different types of transportation. What do we think would be, I don't know, the use for, for I can't the imagine bus? that the night bus gets a lot of business because it seems particularly unpleasant as a mode of transportation. Right. That said, though, a lot of wizards find apparition really unappealing, um... Maybe they don't have a fireplace, so they can't use flu powder. Maybe they don't like flying. Flying takes a lot longer as well. Um, and, and maybe they don't have access to port keys. Port keys are pretty strictly controlled by the ministry. Yeah, I do. Actually, I wonder if it's if similarly to in our world, if the bus is sort of more accessible mode of transportation for people with fewer resources. So I wonder if um, if you don't have access to, uh, you know, the fireplace, the broomstick, the port key, um, you're not able to operate or you don't want to operate. Maybe the night bus is kind of one of your last resort options. Yeah, but I wonder, you know, because we don't know another way of, like, disappearing and reappearing besides apparition. I wonder, like, how that part of it works. You know, we've talked about the, like, things jumping out of the way or whatever, but, like okay, it, you press a button and it goes bang and then you appear somewhere else. Like, isn't that basically apparition? Or, like, if it's not, then, like, what is happening? Yeah, I mean, maybe it is some sort of special form of apparition that mm. is, like, a, you know, this group of people can do it on this specific object 
but it's going to be particularly uncomfortable and also not get you to your exact destination. So it's less desirable than maybe doing a personal apparition. But it's got to be more desirable than personal apparition because Harry doesn't describe any sensation. You know, it's not like like when he first apparates, he describes it as being like squeezed through a tube. Right. That's you true. Know? And like and this is just like the bus goes bang and then it appears somewhere else. Like he, he doesn't even like he wouldn't have known except that he looks out the window and they're in the countryside. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's got to be some variant of that type of magic, but it makes me curious about like what exactly it is. So while Harry is on the night bus, um, he learns he learns about Azkaban. He already kind of knows about Azkaban because Hagrid went there, but he learns mm-hmm. that Sirius Black is a criminal who killed 13 people, is super scary, and has escaped from Azkaban. And we also hear a little bit about the guards, which we'll mention in a minute. But um, he sort of hears more about this. And while he is thinking about it, and then once he ends up going to see Fudge, he's like, oh no, am I going to go to Azkaban? So it's still a very little kid naive thing to kind of think of, oh, I use magic underage, you know, two times. Does this mean that I'm going to prison where serial killers are, basically? Right. And as we talked about a couple of chapters ago, like, that seems like that's what they do, maybe. Well, I mean, we don't really know because, like... Well, there, we don't know there what the lower level... There isn't an alternative prison. I mean, right. obviously, there's sentences you can be sentenced to that aren't prison sentences. But, like, there's no like, minimum security British prison for wizards. It's Azkaban or nothing. Yeah, but I think that he probably would have been, you know, just expelled if or from school. Yeah, or censured or something. I mean, we we don't know because Fudge ends up not prosecuting him for obvious reasons. Um, But, yeah, I know it is really cute that, like, Harry is like, oh, no, I'm going to go to Azkaban if I get caught, you know? Yeah, it is very sweet. And you mentioned Azkaban guards. I do want to talk about that because it was something that came up in this chapter that seemed really awkward to me was that people kept mentioning the quote unquote Azkaban guards and and not saying Dementors, which is what they're called every other time we hear about them in the rest of the series. But the reason for that is that Rowling doesn't want to use the word Dementor yet because it's going to come up, I think, two chapters from now on the train. Yeah, and she doesn't want to explain it, and she wants it to be a surprise as to what they are. Mm-hmm. Right, and and so by keeping it vague, you know, like when you hear Azkaban guards, you think person, mm-hmm. right? Because prison guards are people generally in mm-hmm. our world. So that's what the reader is thinking, that Azkaban guards are just like really uh, psychotic or like psychopathic people that just really enjoy torturing prisoners or something like that. And that's, and that's who they have guarding them. That's the image that I think it conjures in your mind. But then, you know, we're going to learn that's not the case. They're not people at all. They're these weird creatures that feed on happiness. So, um, but yeah, no, it's just really awkward, like, that she uses a separate term for, like, just this chapter. And then every other time she talks about them, she uses their real name, you know? Yeah, it is a little bit awkward. I mean, I guess we can think about, you know, in our world... We would say, you know, the um, 
the Rikers Island guards or something about, like, some famous prison and then guards, you know, what we wouldn't really call the group of them anything else. It's mostly just awkward because we know what they're called the rest of the time. Yeah, exactly. But I don't think inherently it's awkward writing. It's, it's just... not awkward, like, if you're a first-time reader because you don't know any better yet. Yeah. But when you're rereading it, it, it seems really awkward because it's like, we all know what they're called. Right. So it really does appear as though she's like dancing around the term right and, and going out of her way to avoid it you know it, and it does seem like in the real in real life the people that are talking to each other would use the word dementors because right. they do later and also everybody knows that's what they are and that's what they're called yeah it's a case where it's like everyone is avoiding using the term specifically for harry's benefit and only because he doesn't know that term yet mm -hmm. but they wouldn't because they would use dementor right. in the course of their everyday life because everybody does so I think for that reason, it is a bit of a writing flaw, but I think it's forgivable. You know, it could have been done better, but it's forgivable. So once Harry gets to the Leaky Cauldron, he sees Fudge and um, Cornelius Fudge, the Minister of Magic, who he's seen before um, while hiding under the invisibility cloak in Hagrid's hut last book, um, but Fudge doesn't know they've met. So he introduces right. himself, and he says, I've been expecting you. You can stay in the Leaky Cauldron for the next two weeks until you start school. And he sort of doesn't mention anything about why Harry's, um, you know, he mentions he mentions Aunt Marge, but he doesn't really mention the fact that Harry's used underage magic. Right, he just says, like, we've dealt with the situation. She's been reduced to her normal size. Her memory's been modified. No harm done. Everything's fine. Yeah, like, your aunt and uncle are upset, but, you know, it'll be fine. I'm sure you'll get along with them soon. Um, so he's pretty yeah. clueless in that point. But um, Harry's kind of like, wait, what about my punishment? Which is kind of stupid to say, but he is saying it because he's so confused as to why. And I think he's indignant, too, because he's, like, so appalled at the inconsistency between responses. Right. Last year, he wasn't even responsible for the magic mm -hmm. yet he's still got a like an official reprimand from the ministry of magic yeah for for a spell that dobby cast right and he's like this is so unfair last year you punished me and i didn't even do anything and now this, i did and this year i really did it and you're not even going to punish me at all what's going on yeah so he's just sort of pointing out like this is what's this doesn't make any sense you're clearly trying to avoid something and you're and by not talking about it exactly and so um, let's just, you know, make clear what Fudge is doing. Why is Fudge not punishing him? Mm -hmm. Well, the political situation in the ministry, I think, right now is in turmoil because of Sirius Black's escape from Azkaban. And I think the majority of wizards have the opinion that since Black was so close to Voldemort during this, the first war, that Sirius is obviously going to go after Harry Potter, who mm -hmm. was the hero who brought down Voldemort. Um, so everyone is really interested in keeping Black away from Harry, first of all, and then also making sure that Harry's safe, second of all. Um, and so when Black has escaped and no one knows where he is, and then Harry runs away from home, everyone is suddenly really, really worried, um, about Harry's well-being and his safety. And so Fudge obviously makes it a top priority to track him down and have him located, which he does. And they're just, they say, we're just happy you're safe, which is... Yeah. Fudge, Fudge is basically like, I'm just thrilled that you're fine. Like, that the night bus picked you up and that you're okay, basically. 
And, so and Harry's Harry like, why is everyone yeah. why is everyone freaking out about this? So Harry doesn't understand that. But but the situation in the ministry is very clearly one of like, we need to protect Harry Potter. And so Fudge is basically tasked with bringing him back and making him safe and nothing else really matters. Mm-hmm. And so F- Fudge, because he has all the authority of the Minister of Magic, he gets to quash, you know, the... Um, you know, anybody that would be out to punish Harry for his use of underage magic is getting a rebuttal from the minister personally saying, like, no, not in this case. Yeah, We're not doing anything. This leave it alone. Fine. We're not punishing him because, like, the most important thing is that he's safe. If we punish him, he may run away again. Yeah, and we need him to be at Hogwarts because that's going to be the safest place. Exactly. They think. So they're saying, like, we need to keep him safe until he gets there and not expel him from the place that's safe. And that's also why Fudge um, requires Harry to stay at the Leaky Cauldron Mm -hmm. and why he says, don't wander around Muggle London and Mm -hmm. be back before sundown. Right. And it's very ironic because Sirius was just with Harry, basically. Right, yeah. Which, again, he's not going to harm him, and also no one knows that, but it's just ironic in this moment that they're so worried that they may have interacted, and they actually basically did just yeah. a moment moments ago. Yeah, I know. It is, it is pretty funny. And we'll talk much more about this in the chapters to come, but it is extremely frustrating especially in this moment where it really makes no sense why they're being so sketchy about this, but they don't explain to Harry, hey, this guy is after you and he may want to hurt you. Um, And we can talk more about this in the future chapters, but it really doesn't make sense to me why they don't, except, except they're not, they're trying not to scare him. But I think that, you know, especially at this point when, you know, he's run away and they also know that Harry is someone who is going to break rules a lot. They're probably like, hey, no, actually don't go out into London because actually um, there's someone after you. Well, the real story is, I think, a lot more complicated than that. And as we're going to get into, I don't want to spoil anything for our future podcasting, <laughs> um, but as we're going to get into, and in, I think two chapters, um, Mr. Weasley is going to explicate yes. exactly why there are these two camps within the ministry, one that wants to keep him informed and one that thinks that's a really bad idea. Um, and we will talk about that, why why there are people that think that's a bad idea. We'll talk about that in a couple episodes. Um but for now, I think we'll leave it there for this time. I do want to leave us on a random thought for the day, which is that uh, is Hedwig a special owl? Is she like incredibly smart for an owl because she finds the Leaky Cauldron room where Harry's staying before he even knows that he's staying there? I know. Do you think that all owls have this kind of this power to really find? I don't think so. I don't think all owls are as smart as her. And I think she's particularly smart. Yeah. But we do know that all owls can find whoever they're sending a letter to, like magically. That's true. Um, yeah. Like they have, they have an innate ability to just do that. So maybe they have. So that Hedwig with their clearly owners. has like some kind of a homing system mm-hmm. to Harry, but like she had to have been really smart to know like where he was going. He mm-hmm. didn't even know where he was going, really. So yeah, she. Already I think knew. that's pretty cool. Thank you all for listening to Harry Podcast and the Night Bus. We hope you've enjoyed our discussion of this chapter. If you have thoughts or questions or a suggestion about anything we've discussed today, especially the magic of the Night Bus and how it works, because we're curious about that, please email us at contact at theharrypodcast.com. 
You can find out more about the show and listen to any of our episodes at www.theharrypodcast.com or on Apple Podcasts. Stay tuned for next time when we stop up the leaks in Chapter 4, The Leaky Cauldron. I'm Madeline. And I'm David, and we'll see you next time on The Harry Podcast. Knox.